Galatians 3, 1 through 6. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The first thing we notice about Paul's words here is the tone. How would you describe the tone of Paul's words? Intense? Aggressive? Disgusted? Surprised? Certainly not calm, certainly not reasonable, certainly not... Um, gentle, quiet. He is getting in their face and he is he's doing the equivalent of jumping up and down and waving his arms around and shaking them by the lapels. Maybe even a little bit of this. Smack, smack. Snap out of it. Not because he's rude or mean or harsh or intolerant or uncaring, but precisely because he loves them so much. And because of what is at stake. Because if these people don't hear Paul's warnings, if they end up totally turning away from Paul's message that you can be right with God only by faith in Jesus Christ alone, then their eternal destiny is at risk. And it's the same kind of tone that we hear everywhere in the book of Galatians. Remember these words from Galatians 1, 8 and 9. Where he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. To teach or to believe a different gospel other than Paul's gospel is to be accursed. It is to be eternally condemned. It is to be damned to hell. And so this is not just some cold, detached, irrelevant, theoretical, academic discussion that really won't make much difference when it's over. This is a matter of life and death. If these people believe and embrace God's gospel, then they will live. If they reject it and turn away from the gospel, they will die. And the same thing is true of you. If you come face to face with the gospel, if you come over and over and over again, if you grow up in a home where over and over and over again you hear this, over and over again, if you come to church and hear it over and over again, if you have friends who tell it to you over and over again, this message, this gospel, this good news that you as a wicked sinner can be right with the holy God, not because you've been good, but because Jesus Christ died. And if you embrace him and trust him, he will consider you righteous in his eyes. Forgive your sins. 
If you hear that message over and over again and then turn away from that good news, then you will die. You you will be eternally condemned. You will be accursed by God. Who is Paul talking to? He's talking to Christians in a church. Just like you. Just like us. There are people in this room who have grown up in Christian homes, who have gone to church all of their lives, will die in this church, and they'll die and they'll go to hell. I don't know who you are yet. (laughs) But there are some here. There has to be. And certainly Paul assumed there were in this church in Galatia. This is no trite, unimportant matter for you. And it was no trite, unimportant matter for these people. And so Paul gets in their face and he says to them in verse 1, You foolish Galatians. What is wrong with you? You're, you're acting like idiots. You're acting like little babies. You're, you're, not, you're out of your mind. What's wrong with you? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You're acting like you've been hypnotized. You're like walking around in this, in this zombie-like trance. You're like, nothing is, no one's home. Who has bewitched you? What's wrong with you? Why are you thinking like this? Now, why is it that he's so dismayed by these people who are beginning to think that they have to keep God's law in order to be right with God, in order to be Christians? He says in verse 1, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, what's he talking about there? Uh, These people live in modern-day Turkey. They were nowhere around Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. He doesn't mean that they were there and they saw it. So what does he mean? He means, I came to you and I preached to you. And I preached to you, Jesus Christ crucified. How can you possibly forget that I proclaim to you what I proclaim to you about Jesus Christ and him crucified? How can you possibly think that you can actually be right with God and even stay right with God by keeping the law When I preach the cross to you, those things don't go together. Because whenever Paul preached, he had one major theme. And he preached the whole counsel of God, and he did not shrink from declaring everything that was profitable for the people that he was serving. But it all revolved around this one thing. Jesus Christ was crucified. I determined to know nothing among you, he said, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the core of everything. And so when he preached to these Galatians, he preached the cross. My water disappeared. <clears throat> Someone get me a glass of water, please. No, only one, only one will do. That's fun. <laughs> I'm going to get a bucket. <clears throat> Bring me a bucket. What? Yeah, immersion. So when he preached to them, he preached the cross. And he says he publicly portrayed and proclaimed and heralded Jesus Christ and him crucified. Thank you. You won, huh? So what did that look like? What did it look like for Paul to preach 
to publicly paint this picture of Jesus Christ as crucified. Well, he preached that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He preached that we are all under the power of sin. He, all, he preached that we are dead in our sins. He preached that none of us seek God, that none of us do what is good, that all of us are slaves to sin, and that the wages of sin is death. And death is what God owes us, every one of us. Eternal damnation under the righteous wrath of God. And he preached that because we are sinners by nature and by choice, that it's hardwired into our nature to be sinners, that we can't do anything that pleases God. That no amount of law-keeping can make up for who we are by nature as sinners. No amount of law-keeping can make up for all of our wicked motives, all of our wicked thoughts, all of our wicked words, all of our wicked actions. No amount of even the the smallest bit of law-keeping can make up for it. In fact, we can't keep God's law at all. We are hopeless and we are helpless. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, sent his son to be born as a man and to live a perfectly righteous life and to suffer the death that you and I deserved on the cross. And he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. God put Jesus Christ forward as a sacrifice that would turn away his wrath. So that now in Jesus Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And now God can be just. He can be the holy, righteous, just God who never flinches when it comes to his perfect law. He can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And to the one who does not work, who does not trust his law-keeping, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and none of this is your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You foolish Galatians. Didn't you get any of that? Didn't you hear a thing that I preached to you? I publicly portrayed Jesus Christ as crucified for you. Didn't you get it? Have you been bewitched so that you can't even remember the message of the cross that I publicly and fearlessly proclaim proclaim to you? Now that you have heard my preaching of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, how can you actually think that you can be right with God by what you do? That's so foolish. It doesn't make any sense. It's out of touch with reality. It's completely bonkers for you to think this. You foolish Galatians. And now, in verses 2 to 5, he gets in their face and he keeps driving, driving, driving. And he does it by asking questions. And he asks a series of four questions that he perfectly knows the answer to. And here's what they are. Number one, he asks how they became Christians in the past. Number two, he asks about their hopes for becoming sanctified or holy in the future. Number three, he asks how they, if they experienced all of these things in vain. Number four, he asks how they experienced the presence and power of God among them in the present. He asks these questions. He gets in their face. He drives them back to what they experienced themselves when they became Christians. Now, here they are. Number one. He asked them how they became Christians in the past. 
Verse 2 says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He says, let's cut to the chase here. There's only one thing. If, if you answer this question, then everything will make sense. But of course, then he goes on with three more questions. But he says, this is the only one thing I want to know from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, why does Paul ask that question? What is so important about the answer to that particular question? Why is that question? When, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? How, why is that a watershed question for him? Well, the answer is, becoming a Christian means receiving the Holy Spirit. They're one and the same. To become a Christian is to receive the Holy Spirit. You can't possibly separate the two things. There's no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as a man who has the Holy Spirit who's not a Christian. They are completely inseparable. You can never take them apart. That's why Paul says in, in Romans 8, 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. You don't belong to Christ. And so Paul says to them, tell me, Remember, think, think with me here. Do you remember the time when I was preaching to you in the streets of Galatia? Remember that? I was opening up the Old Testament scriptures to you. And I was showing you that all people are guilty sinners before God, that they deserve the wrath of God, that there's no way that you can be right with God by your own works. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died for sin who rose again so that we could walk in newness of life, so that we could have forgiveness of sin and life and hope. And what happened to you when you heard that message? What happened to you? When I was preaching to you, the lights came on. You didn't plan it. You didn't work for it. You didn't force it. You didn't earn it. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the, the, the lights came on, and you... You saw Jesus Christ, and you saw yourself, and you trusted Him, and you, you fell down at His feet, and you believed. You sensed the power of the Holy Spirit, and you crying out, Abba, Father, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. It all made sense to you. And you did not do any works to produce that. You were worked upon. The Holy Spirit came to you. And He struck your heart and He showed you your sin and your helplessness and He showed you the truth of the Gospel and the love of the Father and the Lordship of Christ. And the Holy Spirit produced faith in you. And that old self of rebellion and pride died. And the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in your heart. Galatians, you did not get the Spirit. You did not become Christians when you worked for God. You got the Spirit when God worked for you. And so the answer to Paul's first question is that the Galatians didn't receive the Holy Spirit. They didn't become Christians by obeying the law, but by hearing the gospel and embracing it by faith. Now, what about you? Do you remember what it was like when you became a Christian? Some of you have grown up in Christian homes, and so there's not this drastic before and after like there is for some of us. But there has to be some kind of before and after, doesn't there? Some of you grew up 
never remembering a time when you didn't believe in Jesus. I understand that. But do you remember what it was like for you when the Holy Spirit came to you and made you his his child? Do you think that you're a Christian because you were baptized or because you went forward in a church or because you try to keep the Ten Commandments or because you joined a church or because you take communion or because you're a nice person? Is that why you think you got the Holy Spirit? If you're trusting in any of that, then you're not a Christian. Because you cannot earn the gift of the Holy Spirit by working for God. God does not owe you the Holy Spirit. He owes you death. You don't get the Holy Spirit by working for God. He works for you on the cross and gives you the gift that comes from it. Now, most of us probably believe that. Some of us don't in this room. Some of you still think that you're right with God because you're good. Paul says, foolish, foolish. Now, what's his next question? Verse 3. In verse 3, he asks the second question. He asks about their hopes for becoming sanctified or holy in the future. Verse 3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, since you received the Holy Spirit, since you became Christians, by believing the gospel, not by your own human efforts to keep the law, then what in the world makes you think that you can be perfected in holy living and being sanctified and, and, and obeying God by your own human effort? If you began by the Spirit, how can you be perfected by the flesh? He says, you remember now, you remember now what it was, what it, what it was that made you a Christian, what it was that got you the Holy Spirit, not working, obeying the law, but by believing with faith. You remember that. Now, having believed that, having remembered that, what in the world makes you think that you can now be perfected in holiness by the power of your flesh? Now, the book of Galatians is about justification. And justification means how am I going to be declared righteous in God's eyes? How am I going to stand before the judge of the universe and not be sentenced to death? The answer is justification. God declares that you're righteous because of what Jesus did. But it's, it's about more than that. The book of Galatians is, all, is also very much about sanctification. How can I be a good Christian? How can I live the Christian life? How can, I, how can I obey God? These Christians were trying to become good Christians without the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on. Trying to obey God in the strength of their own human effort in, their, in what Paul calls their flesh. Self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self-will, self-righteousness. They're trying to become good Christians by their own strength without the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, Paul says, that is foolish. Completely wrong-headed, completely twisted. It makes no sense at all to say on the one hand, yes, I began my Christian life solely by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are sitting here saying, yes, I know that. I know that I became a Christian only by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you've slipped into this way of living that says, now it's up to me. Now it's completely up to me. And that is absolutely foolishness. 
Your flesh, your human strength was powerless to make you Christians. How can your flesh, your human strength, enable you to live like a Christian? So what about you? How are you trying to live like a Christian? How are you trying to be holy? How are you trying to live a life of obedience to God? Are you trying to live a life of obedience to God? Because if you're not, if that's not even anywhere on your radar screen, and you couldn't care less, then you're not a Christian. As Christians want to obey God. So if you want to obey God, you've trusted Jesus Christ, you know that you can't work for that, how are you trying to obey Him? Are you trying to obey God out of the power of your own flesh? Do you admit, because you've grown up in a conservative Christian church, you've, you've heard this all of your life, you admit, yes, I know that I can't go to heaven because of what I do. I know that. I know that Jesus died for me. I know that I, I, I can't, it's not works. I'm not a Roman Catholic. I'm not a liberal. I know that I, I believe the gospel. And yet, now, you are trying to be perfected, you're trying to be holy by your own efforts. Are you justified by faith, but sanctified by works? What does this passage say? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And the only way that I can imagine... Us thinking that. The only way that I can imagine anyone thinking that, that they can produce holiness all on their own. The only way I can imagine you thinking that, that it's all up to you now, is if you have a very shallow, a very superficial, a very outward view of sin and obedience. If you think that sin... It's just outward disobedience to an outward code of conduct, then sure you can keep yourself from that. You can keep yourself from lying, technically. You can keep yourself from stealing. You can keep yourself from adultery and sexual perversion, technically. You cannot do certain things with your body. You can keep yourself from murder, technically. You can have this complete obedience to an outward code of morality completely without the internal working of the Holy Spirit of God. People all over the world who are more righteous than you and me, outwardly, but they have nothing of the Holy Spirit. Is that real obedience? Is real obedience just doing certain things and not doing other things on the outside? Is, is that real obedience? If that's all obedience is for you, then you have a very shallow understanding of both obedience and sin. True gospel-empowered obedience is not just living up to an outward moral code. It's not just being a nice person. True gospel obedience is not just biting your tongue and not telling a lie. True gospel obedience is loving the truth. Loving it. True gospel obedience is not just keeping your hands off the property of others. It's being absolutely content with what you have. 
It's not just keeping yourself from jumping in bed with another man's wife. It's having a pure heart that doesn't lust after women and that doesn't fantasize about men. It's not just keeping yourself from pulling out a gun and shooting someone in traffic when they cut you off. It is loving your enemy, praying for those who persecute you, being kind to those who are unkind to you. Can you do any of that on your own? Can you do any of that on your own? Of course not. You're totally helpless to do any of that. You are totally helpless and powerless in your own strength to have any kind of true inward obedience to God and His law. You can only have that true obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit. What will happen to you if you think of obedience only in those outward terms? And you think you can only do it on your own. What will happen to you is that you'll never make real progress in the Christian life. That's what will happen to you. And if you do see deeper than that surface sin, if you see deeper down to lust, to greed, to, to covetousness, to hatred, and if you still think, but I still have to do it on my own, I've begun by the Spirit, but I'm going to be perfected by the flesh, then what will you be like? Utterly despairing. Filled with despair and depression. Because you keep trying to change and you can't. Of course you can't. You can't change yourself on the inside. You know you can. As long as you think that you have to change yourself on the inside, you will be beating your head against the, the brick wall and it will never move. And you'll just fall to pieces. And that's where some of you are. Only the Holy Spirit of God can change you on the inside. He can transform you on the inside. It's what He promised to do when He said through the prophet Ezekiel, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes, and you will be careful to observe My ordinances. He gives you the Holy Spirit. Why? So you can obey. So you can obey. A heart that's soft instead of dead. So that you'll obey His commandments and walk in His statutes. His power can give you a new heart that wants to obey. That changes what you love, what you hate, what you hope in, what you want. He can transform you so your obedience is true obedience. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. But how do you get that Holy Spirit? By the works of the law? By keeping the law? No, by faith. Verse 4, he asks the third question. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Now look at this word suffer. This word is usually translated suffer, but it can also be translated experience. It can be translated as suffer something negative that happens to you it can also be translated experience something neutral or, or positive that happens to you um, if you think of the word happened in English so I walk up and I see um, I see uh, Lawrence here and if I say what happened to you Lawrence 
What do I mean by that? Well, it depends on if he has a smile on his face and he's happy or if he's got a black eye and a broken arm. What happened to you? It's the same word, this word, suffer. It can also mean experience. And look what it says. He's talking about their experiences of the Holy Spirit. Did you experience all of these things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. In other words, did you experience the power of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, in conversion, in being born again, in being changed, in being made holy progressively more and more through your life? Did you experience all of that only to turn away from the Holy Spirit now? Were those experiences of the Holy Spirit's power all for nothing? After tasting all of that, are you going to turn away from the Holy Spirit? Are you going to turn away from the only source of power and life that you have? Are you going to turn your back on all of that? Turn yourself back to these attempts at law-keeping and the weakness of your flesh. Think about your life. Think of all the things that God has brought you through. Was it all for nothing? Was it all in vain? Was it all empty? Was it all for nothing? Are you going to turn away now? Turn your back on all of it? Will you fall away? Some of you will fall away. Why would you want to fall away? Verse 5, he asks the fourth question, the last one. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? When God moves among you in power, when God sends these special blessings of His Spirit, when God brings time of spiritual refreshing and encouragement, when He even works miracles among you, does He do any of that because you've been good? Because you've earned it by your self-righteous law-keeping? Or does he pour out those rich blessings through the channel of humble faith? Of course, the answer is he pours out those blessings through the channel of humble faith. No one twists God's arm to make him pour out his spirit. We cannot mechanically produce revival and spiritual blessing by our proud self-righteousness working the machine. God only moves in the context of humble faith that turns away from self-reliance and self-righteousness and doesn't shake your fist in God's face and say, you owe me. But embraces Jesus Christ and His righteousness. What about us? You do want God to move among us, don't you? Do we want God to pour out His Holy Spirit? Do we? Do we really? Are you sure? It'll be scary. It'll be weird. Do we really want God to move among us, or are we happy the way things are? If you want God to move among you, if you want God to move among us, we want to see God supplying His Holy Spirit to us, reviving us, giving us life. If we want to see the miracle of cold, dead hearts that hate God be transformed into soft, alive hearts that love Him. You want to see that? How is it going to happen? 
well, we've got to pray enough, we've got to be organized enough, we've got to be active enough, we've got to plan enough, we've got to plot and scheme enough, then God will be obligated to send revival to us. So God's the vending machine. And we clunk in our coins, coins of prayer, coins of Bible reading, coins of obedience. We clunk in our coins, push the button, and out comes the candy bar. Is that what you think? Put in the coins, push the button, out clunks the candy bar. God will not be reduced to a vending machine because God is never obligated to act because we've jumped through some hoops. You can't make God bless you or your family or your church or your city because you have done anything. God doesn't owe you anything except one thing. He owes all of us one thing, doesn't he? What? Death. The wages of sin is death. Don't ever start talking about what God owes you because as soon as you talk about what God owes you, You're staring death in the face. That's what he owes you. As long as you think that you can force God to bless you or that there's some kind of mechanical process that will always result in God's blessing, you will probably never see it. Because the one who supplies the Spirit to you and works wonders among you does not do so by works of the law, but by hearing with faith. God works among us and in your life by faith. He loves to work among us by faith. He loves to come and give us power and give us life and give us strength and give us the ability to kill our sin and to obey Him. He loves to come and do that when we're humble and when we trust Him alone. The whole Christian life from first to last, has to do with faith. And so here's my last question for you. Do you have faith? I didn't say, do you intellectually understand the propositions of the Bible? I didn't say, have you had an emotional experience? I didn't say, have you filled your life with religious activity? What I said was, do you have faith? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know that Jesus is real and true with a deep, certain spiritual knowledge? And do you love Him? And do you delight in Him? And do you treasure Him more than all the stuff that you fill your life with all the time? You treasure Him. Are you satisfied by all that He is for you? And do you embrace Him alone? And have you given up all hope in yourself and all your own goodness and your own power and your own wisdom? Have you run to Him to shelter you, to hide in Him from the storm of God's wrath that is coming, that you do deserve? Have you fled to Him? Have you clung to Him? Do you trust Him with your life? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? If you don't, then God commands you to repent. And He commands you right now to turn away from your self-satisfaction, your self-righteousness, your self-indulgence, your self-reliance, and to trust Jesus Christ. You don't have anything that you can bring to Him. 
you don't have anything to bring to him to save you. And you don't have anything to bring to him to make you holy. You have nothing, nothing to put on the table, nothing. So will you come to him? Will you trust him? Because if you do, you will have the Holy Spirit. You will have forgiveness for your sins. You will have the power to change and to obey God and to kill your sin and to obey him, to walk in righteousness. And you will experience the rich blessings of God's hand in your life. Now tell me, why would any of you want to walk away from here without that? Why would any of you want to walk away from here and turn your back on all of that? Some of you are doing it. You're going to do it. You're going to walk out of here and you're going to turn your back on that. You're planning to do it right now. The wheels are turning. Why in the world would you want to do that? You're turning your back on life. You're turning your back on the ability to obey God, to have your sins forgiven. You're turning your back on peace. And you're embracing death. Don't do that. Come to Jesus Christ. He is a willing and able and powerful Savior for you. Let's pray.